because I just want to have fun. Like I don't ever want this music project ever to be like a point of stress for any one of us. Like it's it's a it's a great hobby. It's a <laughs> it's fun. We have an amazing time, and like why have it be anything else? You know. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Zach Lawson. Zach contributes guitar and vocals to the Lansing, Michigan-based band The Dead Lennies, which is also composed of Spies on Guitar and Nate Smith on Bass. Zach also happens to be my high school English teacher, so I suppose a trend has been forming since my interview with my former chemistry teacher Dave Foy in episode 13. Zach and I's conversation ranges from how the band got started his creative influences, whether they be musicians or authors, and ultimately how those two types of creators influence what the Dead Lennies do creatively. And, spoiler alert, the band name itself is in fact a reference to John Steinbeck's novella Of Mice and Men, which was actually one of our assigned books when I took Zach's class. What a wild full circle. (laughs) Anyway, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Zach Lawson's journey with the Dead Lennies. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast, and first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to sit down and chat with me tonight. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. For sure, for sure. So, first of all, you contribute guitar and vocals to the Lansing, Michigan bass band called the Dead Lennies, which is composed of yourself, Spies, and Nate Smith. Can you briefly explain how you all crossed paths and decided to start making music together? Uh, yeah. Yep. Jeez. Uh, probably about like 2005, 2006. Uh, I met Spies because he was dating a friend of my ex-wife's and we just, because of like, you know, relationship, double dating type things, uh, we ended up hanging out and hitting it off and having a lot of common interests. He's a tattoo artist by trade. That's how he makes his money daily. Although he's just like a artist overall. You know, I'm tattooed and I've been interested in tattoos since I was able to be old enough to get them. So I started talking to him about that. So then he kind of, he became my tattoo artist first, I guess, and friend kind of at the same time. Then in like 2014, 13 and 14, uh, I got divorced and it was, it was a really uh, stressful, terrible time. That's not anything I would recommend to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I know that's, that sounds really weird, but uh, I mean, like, you know, it's just it's just terrible, even if it's the right thing to do. It's just a really, really hard experience. And and through that experience, I, w- I started writing more than I already did and trying to write music really for the first time ever. And I would show him some of my songs and so on and so forth. And he'd, you know, give me some feedback on them because he previously had done music in hardcore punk bands and metal bands. He's a rapper as well has like some really really great rap album they're all kind of mixtapes because they all have sampled beats and so on and so forth but my favorite of his collection is one called wookie braids which i really really like a lot has just really amazing samples on it and really good songs but he and his partner in rhyme loke they go by the name of imperialities and they actually just released another album on Bandcamp recently but anyhow so he and i we started realizing that 
we might want to make music together because I was writing songs and he'd been writing songs. Around the same time all that was happening, my son, who'd been doing guitar lessons since he was about eight years old, decided around, you know, 14 years old that he didn't want to do guitar lessons anymore. He got, he was sick of them. He didn't want to be in them anymore. Mm -hmm. So instead of just not doing them anymore, because I had never had any kind of training playing lead guitar or anything like that, I just slid into his spot and started taking guitar lessons. Mm -hmm. So when I did that, then that gave me a new dynamic of like lead and some just like more guitar knowledge. And Spies and I wanted to start a rock band like a like a four person you know two guitars one singer bass drums and we kind of decided to to start a band like that and we had probably about a half a year of jam sessions with about a, a bunch of different players and we couldn't find anybody who just exactly like gelled with us or that was reliable honestly but we still wanted to make music is really what it boiled down to so like instead of just saying well you know we're not going to do this or whatever we instead what we decided to do is just be an acoustic punk rock duo mm -hmm. that's how we started i mean uh, our first show at the crystal bar in 2016 was like i think we played five songs you know five original songs that we had written and we were really proud of and the, but then the next show, which maybe was like a month and a half later, we had 12 songs. And then, you know, then that's just kind of how it's been going. Around 2017, maybe after about a year of playing and stuff, like playing out and playing shows and concerts, we decided that we wanted to add a bass player, you know, or try to find a bass player. And fortunately, Nate Smith was an acquaintance of ours and a friend of ours who had played like on softball leagues with us and stuff like that and plays fantasy football with us. And he's a bass player. He's a great bass player. So, you know, we tried him out and it gelled, it went. So then he started being our bass player. And that's kind of the story up to date in terms of how the three of us got together, started playing music. No, that's so awesome. And I love all those different side stories and interactions about how you all came together. I found that super interesting. Speaking of your I guess, original intentions and genres and stuff like that. I dig in through your Facebook page. I love the way that you describe your sound on there. <laughs> I mean, you say, and I quote, sound like if G-Love and Special Sauce knock boots with the Misfits after a Beatles concert. And I found that uh, a really accurate and, and a clever depiction of you guys. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. We, we always really have a hard time figuring out what to call ourselves or how to, like, people are all the time saying, like, hey, what would you categorize your sound as? It's really, it's really tough to do because I don't know, like it really kind of runs the gamut. You know, a lot of my songs have kind of have a tendency to be more ballady, honestly, mm -hmm. whereas five songs have a tendency to be more stop, go, more punk rock aesthetically. And then there's the songs that we co-write together that are kind of like a blend and sometimes like really strange, you know, time signatures and stuff like that on it. So it's kind of it's kind of weird to describe, but I mean, ultimately, if I had to call it anything, I'd just call it soul music because that's what I like. Like that's what I call all the music I like because it just it speaks to me in some capacity, whether I'm aware of it or not. What the capacity is, or it just, it just does something to me. You know, it gives me goosebumps, and mm -hmm. those are the kinds of songs that I know that I'm trying to write, and that Spies is trying to write as well. Just like you know, something that talks to somebody somewhere. You know? Yeah, definitely. And it's so funny that you have a hard time categorizing your sound and stuff, too, because I, I spent years freelance writing for a music magazine and, you know, interviewing bands, reviewing albums. But I, I feel like I still 
to this day have a really hard time, you know, describing the sound of a band or classifying him into a certain genre because I get thinking, well, they got songs that sound like this and their style is kind of like this. And I feel like my go-to lately has been comparing them to other bands as opposed to putting them in genres. No, and, and it seems like you guys have that <laughs> that same style too. And I, I just love that depiction. Speaking of influences and everything, so what are some of your top musical influences? <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say because... They're so vast, and I, I can't say that I'm ever, like, intentionally trying to, you know, crib from anybody. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's more more or less trying kind of like the opposite or just trying to make something that sounds good. But, I mean, like, I have my, my Mount Rushmore of Bobs, like Bob Marley, Bob Dylan, Bob Seeger. Those three Bobs have had really, really an important place in my life throughout my my journey of listening to music bob marley was introduced to me in sixth grade by a friend who moved to holt from vermont at the at the end of that summer and prior to that you know i I had no idea what bob marley's music sounded like so that was really eye-opening because in listening to his lyrics i first off i love his voice and i I love marley's vocal inflections and how he does just different stuff Mm -hmm. like i love it but also hearing the authenticity of his lyrics about like struggle and about I don't know like just oppression and and things of that nature like life as it was lived there like really resonated with me in a in a similar way that uh, Marvin Gaye's music resonated with me which who was someone that my my mom listened to a lot when I was growing up she listened to a lot of Motown and stuff like that mm-hmm. so yeah so Bob Marley is important Bob Dylan I don't know that there's another lyricist that can hold a candle to him and I, I just I'm blown away by him. And then and then Bob Seeger, you know, being from Michigan and and the storytelling, like the narratives he's able to craft. Like those those three songwriters are really, really important to me and a, a huge influence. In fact, in some ways probably like a, a negative influence because anytime I would ever write a song, I'd like compare it to the greats, right? And it would be crap comparatively speaking. And then I'd be like, Well, it's not Bob Dylan, so it must be terrible, right? And <laughs> that's absurd of course but so so those are my probably my three big lyricists aside from like uh isaac brock from modest mouse i love him love 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 him uh james murphy from lcd sound system i, I like them a lot but like lately dude I, I find myself really listening to a lot of a pop music i know that might sound kind of weird but i've been really digging like a lot of pop melodies and things like that oh yeah waxahachie i don't know if you've heard of I'm going to say them, but it's, I think it's just really uh, one singer basically. Mm-hmm. And then like, yeah. And, and that she's amazing. I went and saw the tune yards when I was out in Portland just this past week for their first show back since oh, nice. they, you know, took off from COVID and man, that was like such an amazing experience. It was just a, a, a crazy concert. I've never seen anybody use like loopers in such a like an efficient amazing interesting way in case that term threw you for a loop (laughs) i'm sorry the dad joke was there and i couldn't help myself anyway loopers are an electronic device that create instant recordings of a musical performance that then play them back in real time just think of artists like ed sheeran and kurt vile who use loopers pretty regularly you know so like it's really hard for me to talk about influences without gushing it over like so many awesome bands you know because i just i love music so much i always have and it's been just a really really important part of my life i guess one last thing the the an influence i've been listening to or like a band i've just been listening to a lot lately 
is a band out of Chicago. Like, uh, I guess they're called like, like a post punk band, I guess called dead D E H D and their new album flowers of devotion. Like I just listened to that thing beginning to end, you know? So yeah, just love, I just love good music. I don't, it doesn't even matter what it is at all. It's just good music. So for sure. No, I identify with so much of that. And no, I'm glad you gave a uh, Waxahachie some love because, uh, yeah, no, I I love their music and stuff too. And strangely enough, too, I've been getting more into pop lately myself because I used it used to just be more like a pop punk type thing, like you know, more pop melodies and and like a poppy chorus and stuff. But then I've been I've been going to like more synth pop type stuff and more like '80s influenced stuff and like really digging that. And then, well, and then like during quarantine, I randomly got like really into the weekend. <laughs> Just like I've just been all over the place, so no, I I know exactly what you mean. And even though it's a simple question of you know top musical influences, it's it's a really tough question to answer. But uh, I I love the whole thing about the <laughs> Mount Rushmore Bobs because I just think back to to Office Space with like them having a meeting with the Bobs and stuff like that. It just made me <laughs> think of that. It just cracked me up. <laughs> but um, no. Anyway, uh, so I know the band name. Your the band name itself, the Dead Lennies, is a reference to John Steinbeck's novella of Mice and Men, and I find it fitting because that was one of the books that we read when I I took your class in high school. <laughs> so, um, now do you all have a special connection with the Mice and Men, and have any other literary references made their way into your music in addition to the band name? Oh, yeah, definitely a ton of other uh, literary references. The Dead Lennies, though, yeah, it was totally taken. It was, we, we came up with that name. We were uh, headed down to Toledo for the first recording session we ever ever were going to do, and we, we didn't have a band name. We joked around on the drive down there with a bunch of different ideas, like Zacharoni and Spees, <laughs> like just, just some, you know, some ridiculous stuff, and then like some serious stuff. Oh, gosh. I think there was one that I took from like a Herman uh, Hesse novel. It was like unautomated, unrobotic men or something. I don't know. We were like kicking around all sorts of weird things. And one that his girlfriend at the time suggested was the Dead Lennies because we're both, you know, some literary dudes. Like we just we both like art and we both like art across the board in terms of like what that encompasses, literature you know, all forms of visual media, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And so, so it just stuck. And, and we thought it was hilarious because, of course, you know, pluralizing Lenny is just kind of fun the way we have. But, yeah, no, um, the, the song that we most recently recorded for our Tiny Music Desk um, submission is titled Dorian Gray. And that's, you know, kind of about the idea of getting older. Goodness, without going, without listen, looking through the, the the lyric book, I can't think of anything else. Like right off the top of my head, but oh, we have a song called "Understand," where there's a line that's like, "When the pigs start standing and learn to speak." So there's all sorts of when the windmill crashes the cobble streets, stuff like that. You know, specific to imagery related to Animal Farm and stuff oh, like nice. that. Yeah, they're, they're peppered throughout for sure, for sure. Lot, lots of allusions, both not only just to the literature but the history as well you know so yeah for sure actually yeah speaking of animal farm and, and george orwell i just read 1984 for the first time i want to say a few years ago but i've been trying to work my way through the classics and stuff as well no that's that's super awesome and i know 
obviously like the the imagery and symbolism and stuff comes out you know a lot in in movies and music and other forms of media so i always find that that question really interesting <laughs> and speaking of of i guess books and everything i i'm, I'm going to throw another heavy-handed question at you do you have any favorite books of all time Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. Uh, favorite books of all time. Uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say like right off the top of my head, uh, Tropic of Capricorn by Henry Miller. Henry Miller changed my life <laughs> when, when I, not seriously, like I, I mean, he, he's considered like pretty vulgar and pretty obscene in some ways. In fact, like his, his first, his books weren't, published until the 60s in the united states even though they had been previously published uh, in paris prior to that because they were considered like too sexually graphic and stuff like that and i don't really think they are but what the what he was saying and how he was saying it was just totally revolutionary and i think in some ways it still is but he talked about like i guess what really resonates with me about that specific book tropic of capricorn is it's about a man who feels lost and feels like unfulfilled and who feels like he's just going through the motions you know one foot in front of the other until he you know inevitably ends up in front of this grave that he's gonna you know fall in and people are gonna throw dirt on him and he really wants to do something else and what he wants to do is right and he just finds the world ridiculous and mm -hmm. i mean in all truth man that really resonates with me very well <laughs> like i <laughs> I feel the world's pretty ridiculous in a lot of ways. And I just, I don't know, you know, like <laughs> I, I just, that just resonates with me. So like when I read that, I definitely made some, some changes in my life and, and just realized that I wanted to kind of more authentically, I guess, pursue that, which was good for me. And one of those things is music. So yeah. So Tropic of Capricorn, that, that's a, that's a really big one of Mice and Men, I think is a, like a perfect book. East of Eden by Steinbeck. I also like that. I mean, that's a, an enormous epic and probably has like the, the most uh, terrible villain ever in it, I think, or one of, one of the worst evil people ever in a book. You know, I like House of Leaves, Oh yeah, by Mark Danielewski. God, what did I just finish on the way home from Portland? I don't know. It wasn't that good, so I'm not supposed to talk about that one. <laughs> yes. Anna Eastman's Diaries. She was also a contemporary of of Miller, and she has like a six volume. You know, I want to say it's probably about 1,500 pages when it's all said and done, like a, a diary of her whole life. It's been published. That's amazing. You know, it's weird. Like, what I've discovered over the last five years is that all of my favorite authors have, like, a thread that connects them somehow. Like, either they were, like, influenced by one another or, like, they directly, like, communicated with each other and helped each other out. Like I recently just discovered, for instance, like that Henry Miller was like integral in getting Herman Hesse translated into English and then published in the United States. And Siddhartha, one of his books, one of Herman Hesse's books was like a, a, a profound book for me uh, growing up that I read in high school in my senior year. And I was just like, wow, you know, but I think like what this all boils down to though, Eric, is that I'm just kind of maybe like a seeker of sorts. And I don't know if I'm ever going to find anything, but 
I don't know. You know what I mean? Because like it seems like the the protagonists in the books I like, like you know, they're they're after something. The writers that I really like to read, they're not content just like pushing a plot forward. They're trying to say something about what it means to be a human being. Yeah, and that I can't think of a more important task in the world, right? Like, <laughs> I yeah. I don't know for me for <laughs> me at least, you know. And that's kind of one of the bummers about being a teacher because people generally in in the majority don't see it in the same sort of way they see it as like this task that takes too long that they can't do fast that that it's not easy to complete quickly and that's not worth it like to them in, in a lot of ways and that's really kind of a bummer you know because to a person who venerates art when you're confronted with people who like say the thing you like know about sucks Mm-hmm. That that kind of gets old, you know? So, yeah. I don't know. No, for sure. And actually, th- that segues perfectly into one of the other questions I had prepared in regards to teaching. So, do you ever find it difficult to balance, I guess, the work you do in the school and, and having your music and everything? Definitely not anymore. But, you know, last year, I went from teaching 12th grade to teaching 7th grade. And teaching 7th grade definitely has some very, very different challenges But one of the huge challenges in teaching 12th grade was, number one, the amount of courses I had to teach. So right now, I just teach 7th grade English, and that's enough. Like grading, you know, 120 essays and planning lessons every day for one class every week, that's, that's enough. But like prior to that, I'd spent the previous, I think, nine years, nine or ten years, teaching six classes you know three in one semester and three in the other so prepping and grading and being on for three different classes every day burned me out I mean it it did and I asked for a reduced course load I said hey can I just have two classes a semester that would be more manageable and I was told basically that like that wouldn't work for everybody else on the schedule and this that and the other Hmm. so uh, when the position opened at the junior high, you know, I wanted that because I was just really feeling, man, overwhelmed and, and kind of unappreciated and, and just overworked. So last year was a better balance for that because of, you know, just one class. However, you know, the online format and all the, the, the trials and tribulations of last year didn't make that any easier. But I can't imagine having done it with the, the you know, if it had been the three classes. Right. As, as far as the time, though, man, like early in my career, I would literally like get home. Well, I get my kid from school. Then I get the other one from daycare. Then I'd come home. Then I'd figure out what they had to do with their day, you know, or what they had to do for homework or whatever. And then I would like make dinner and then my wife would come home and we'd eat dinner and then we'd clean up dinner and then maybe hang out for a second. And then I'd be grading papers or planning or doing something until, you know, 11, 12 at night, because, you know, with a break in there to read to the kids, Mm -hmm. but just because like, I felt I had to work that much to, to be prepared and to do it well, And that was, I mean, I can't say that that didn't take a toll on, you know, on my relationship, maybe, you know, on my family a little bit and stuff like that. And I don't know when it was, maybe, maybe about like 2012 or so, but around then, maybe I I decided like maybe 
it doesn't matter the year, I guess, because I can't pinpoint it. But I just decided that, like, I can't do every, you know, I, there's some things that have to be, they just have to kind of sit. Like, I, you know. Yeah. Like, I have to take care of myself, I guess, is what I'm, what it boils down to. And then I started, like, really carving out time to do that. And I got really into yoga and I got really into some other things. Like, I've always had hobbies, you know what I mean? So, yeah. it's really been a matter of me trying to figure out, like, when I can take the time to spend to do my hobby, you know, like really kind of making sure that I work that self-care into my life. So I haven't always been good about working that out, but it seems like <laughs> lately my life has allowed for me to to do that better. And that's really good. So, For sure. No, I honestly identified with so much of that because I'm I'm definitely guilty of biting off more than I can chew most of the time and just running myself ragged. I mean, I still to this day probably get maybe about four hours of sleep a night. I'm like, I feel like I'm sleeping in if I get like six. Yeah. It's, I, I know it's not like a good thing long-term obviously. Yeah, no, I, I, but just taking that time for self-care really is super important. And I think that's something the pandemic taught me, you know, spending all this time at, at home being forced to slow down and asking myself like, what do I thoroughly enjoy doing? And what do I want to, I guess, achieve and, and took a hard look at things. And then, you know, I started writing again, started, started this podcast, you know, kind of riding the wave and, and seeing what happens with it and stuff. I agree with that so much of just kind of searching for something out there and kind of continuously on the hunt for something. So I guess going back to your, to your music, and I, I'm sure this is a very broad question, but can you briefly describe your creative process a little bit? So do you designate time to sit down and write, or do you get together with spies and Nate and kind of hash things out from there and then this is kind of a two-parter i guess or three-parter i lost count <laughs> and then once you're writing do you would you say the lyrics generally come first or the melodies i'm writing down that so i can address <laughs> I brought, the parts. i probably threw way too much at you right there <laughs> no you're all good all right so for me the way i typically write a song or the way i have previously written songs is I come up with the guitar part first and then if it stays in my ear, then usually what I do is I like vocalize something like basically kind of like mumble possibilities in the spaces where I think lyrics would be. And then if through like just saying nonsense, essentially, I'll eventually hear like a line or a sentence or a couplet and then I'll build off that. So that's, that's usually what I typically do. And then I like, then based on how I'm able to come up with those first lines really determines a lot about the format of the song in terms of like how many verses I want versus the chorus and how those things differ you know, if I want a bridge and things like that. So that's how I write by myself. I can't speak at all to how Spies writes typically, because honestly, I don't know. When he and I write together, when we write collaboratively, typically what'll happen is I'll have a riff and I'll play it for him. And if he likes it, he'll go, ooh, I want to write to that. And I'll go, okay, sweet. That's what I wanted, you know? And uh, so then, and then we sit down and kind of decide on a direction or, or in some ways, sometimes do like the exact same thing I do by myself. We just kind of throw out ideas and then just kind of hum them and joke around with them. 
And then usually we, you know, come up with some lyrics and uh, have the lyrics down. And then usually it's just a matter of like, you know, I guess workshopping it a little bit more and like figuring out what we like versus what we don't like. But but that's usually the process uh, for me and then for the both of us when we write together. Uh, Nate typically doesn't write a ton with us exactly, but most recently he uh, he wrote a song called Broken Telephone, or he and Spies, I guess I should say, wrote a really cool song called Broken Telephone that he came up with the bass line for and was like, hey guys, I have this bass line, what do you think? And we were like, sweet, that's a song. So, you know, came with, you know, made it have lyrics and figured it all out. And then he and I, last time we were at the recording studio, he came up with a bass line and I started playing the guitar to it. And it was called uh, Lake Bottom Blues. And then we just kind of, based on the, the the instrumental that we put together, we then, as a group, wrote on the top of it. So that's typically how it works. But I guess on occasions too, like I have a, a like a musical side project. And when, like, those guys aren't feeling one of my songs, I don't get upset about it or anything. I just make it one of my songs, you know? And then I I sing that at open mics and record that, uh, you know, <laughs> and stuff <laughs> like that. So it's a really, really, like, democratic process, you know? Um, it's It's one of those things where if something doesn't fit or if something's not working, we're pretty, we're pretty good about, you know, being honest with one another and just... Not having hurt feelings about stuff, I guess, is kind of how I describe it. I think that's because we're old, you know, so we don't like the <laughs> ego's kind of shedding a little bit to the degree of like, well, okay, you guys weren't feeling that. Like, I'll go do this over here at, you know, an open mic or something, you know, so because I just want to have fun. Like, I don't ever want this music project ever to be like a point of stress for any one of us. Like it's, it's a, it's a great hobby. It's a, <laughs> it's fun. We have an amazing time and like, why have it be anything else you know so yeah exactly no i i love that that attitude going into it and stuff too and speaking of going to that studio to record uh i did notice a common trend with your first album live at lake bottom your sixth song ep george and lake bottom blues being all recorded at lake bottom recording house in toledo ohio so i assume you must like that place quite a bit <laughs> can you briefly explain the connection you have with that location what keeps you going back there yeah, absolutely. So Spies is from Toledo. Oh, nice. And one of his childhood friends and a member of the zoo crew, which is his gra- graffiti crew, They, his name is J.C. Griffith. And J.C. is, he also goes by the, the moniker Sale, S-A-Y-L. Uh, that's his graph name, his writer name. He, he owns an amazing recording studio. He's a, he's a, he masters it well. He, he does it all there. I mean, gosh. So, I mean, so that's the connection. The connection is, is just, it's so fortunate that we know somebody that we're friends with who has like a real legit <laughs> recording <laughs> studio, you know, like it's, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's the bee's knees. It really is. He's an amazing person too. Like JC is just a great guy. I like to just go down to Toledo and hang out with him, even if I don't have like a music project to do, you know, just to, to hang out in the studio to see what everybody's doing and stuff. In fact, he's in a band withdrawn is the name of the band. It's and they, they play actually their first show this Friday at the Ottawa Tavern in Toledo. Unfortunately, that show has already come and gone since this interview was recorded, but don't let that stop you from checking out future withdrawn shows. 
And unfortunately, I can't check it out because we have a show in Munich, Michigan at a music festival called Jamboree at the Oaks. So, you know, and that's our first music festival. So we're going to like stay the night there and we'll nice. take it in, I guess. But yeah, so I mean, that that's our connection. And JC, I mean, he's the man. Lake Bottom Recording House is the place. You know, we go down there. Uh, we, we live down there while we're there, like in the studio, which makes it super awesome. And it's right by like the, the botanical gardens. I mean... It's just it's just a really beautiful place. I don't know how else to describe it, man. It's just it's really cool and the vibe's great and the people are good. One of my favorite things about Spies is the fact that he's introduced me to so many other like-minded individuals. You know what I mean? And like yeah. that's so cool. Like as you get older, man, it gets harder and harder to make friends and to like actually get to know people well enough to know whether you want to be their friend even you know like do i have the same interests as this person do i just work with this person you know what i mean and like i don't know he he's he's introduced me to so many people uh, one of which is jc so yeah lake bottom recording house is where it's at it's a wonderful affordable excellent place to record all of your musical listening genres for sure no awesome yeah it looks it looks like a super fun laid-back place i was just digging through their facebook page so yeah, no, I, I love that story, and I think that's a super awesome connection that you have with it. And, yeah, and that's exciting with the, the festival coming up. And speaking of which, I love uh, also pulling from your Facebook page that you, you're you always on the Fat of the Land tour, which means you'll play anywhere, anytime. Now, I love that uh, that saying and that mentality. <laughs> so, do you Thank have you overall... for picking up on that, man. Like, yeah. no one has ever noticed that ever before. But, yeah, the Fat of the Land tour, it's it's been going since 2000. And... 16 i think so yeah (laughs) (laughs) nice do you have a favorite venue or event that you've played at so far i always personally love playing the avenue i I love playing the avenue i I love the sound i love the setup Uh, we played there about a month ago with frown town um, josh david's band i don't know if you know him oh yeah josh david yeah yep he's a member (laughs) of gtg and stuff and uh, they put us on so there, I can't remember the the gentleman's name who performed first, but there was a dude on a, an acoustic electric who went first, who was really good. And then we played, and then uh, Josh's band Frowntown played. But that was fun, and and I just I love I love the avenue, I love the vibe. You know, I like everything about. I, I really like to play that place as far as like Lansing venues go. But we always love to play Bad Brewing. You know, we we love to play any place where people might not have heard us before like I, I love to go into a new place and just like, like rip faces off and like <laughs> seriously before pandemic before the pandemic we we started playing in Saginaw some at White's Bar and yeah. that's an amazing venue like I, I totally recommend every everybody go to White's Bar because like on any given night the cover might be $3, but you're going to see three live acts, you know? And like, mm-hmm. what other band can you say that they have music at this place, like 365 days a year, you know? And it's a small little place, but they have cheap beer. There's good people there. And, and you know, and there's always entertainment. And, you know, right before the pandemic, we started playing there. And I don't think people knew what to expect when, you know, two dudes and a bass player, well, two dudes with acoustic guitars and a bass player get up on stage. And then, you know, when we hit the first fast song that has a solo in it and I'm able to kick on the pedals and start throwing like wah distortion and echo on my acoustic, you know, and people are like, what the hell's happening right now? You know, and it's just, it's, it's always nice to do that to like kind of maybe 
exceed someone's expectations or kind of just prove a hater wrong, honestly. So those are my, I love going to a new place and ripping a face off, but I love, I love the familiar places and the venues that just seem to have crowds that like to hear music, I guess is really what it boils down to. Cause we will play anywhere. The fat of the land tour is a thing. Um, but you know, playing like a dinner show, where like people aren't necessarily like paying attention to you and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm not in, in it for the attention exactly. Like I'm in it for the, for the music for sure. But like, it's nice to play for people who are kind of like listening to you. you know? <laughs> like, cause otherwise it just feels like an electric practice in a place that's not your basement. So that, and that's just kind of a weird feeling, honestly. So no, for but, sure. It takes all kinds. No, so, so many good plugs there for sure. I have such a soft spot for the Avenue. I've not played any shows there personally, but they host karaoke nights all the time and I'll uh, go up there and, and just have a blast. So, I mean, to your point, I mean, it's it's a great crowd there, great energy. I mean, and you just go up there and sing on the stage just like it were a show and stuff and you got so much space. It's like, you know, people are actually like kind of paying attention more and getting into it and stuff. So I may have been to White's Bar once or so, once or twice or so. I lived in Saginaw for a few years when I was going to Saginaw Valley. I, I wish I would have made my way to more of those shows, honestly, because I went to a few and I'm like, you know, why don't I, I do this more often? Because I, I go to shows all the time, but I didn't hit up the local scene in Saginaw as much as I should have while I was there. And I kind of regret that because it's it's a crazy cool city. I mean, it's, it's got some, some really interesting history and like, you know, I, I really enjoyed living there for a few years. Going back to the, the studio and everything, I think I saw on your Facebook and I think you even brought it up earlier in the conversation that you guys are potentially going back to the studio to record new songs. I'm not sure if that actually happened or, or yet or not, or if you guys still have the, those plans in the works. So no, we, we don't, currently have any plans to do that now i've been to the studio once so far this summer and i cut uh, i guess it was five songs i think five songs uh with vocal lead and guitar on them for just like my little side project thing and then actually spies is the bass player in my side project so he (laughs) went down and uh played bass on them separately hilariously but we haven't as a as a group been able to get down there to do it just because the summer's been really busy with things opening up and shows and people trying to get some like vacations in and then catching up on work you know i mean mm-hmm. in the case of spies being a tattoo artist you know like he was shut down for a really long time so now he's trying he's getting back on the horse and you know riding again so it's just it's been kind of a kind of a wonky summer for that and in addition i know that um jc has just had like extreme interest all summer i mean i think at this mm-hmm. point in time he last time i checked i think he's booked through october or maybe even longer than that i don't know so like so yeah unfortunately there's not any plans to do that but like another kind of weird part of that though is like we didn't really even have an opportunity to do much with our last album before everything shut down like we didn't i think it was like in november or december that it was finally done like mm-hmm. bottom blues and then you know we were playing shows from you know december until march but then when everything shut down everything shut down so we didn't exactly like i don't know i guess market or you know pitch that album I guess like as hard as we could have or should have. Cause like for the first album, we made like a, just like a dumb sort of PowerPoint video for each song, you know, like one of those mm-hmm. little 
ones full of fades and stuff like that. But we, we didn't do that at all for this, but we were all in some like really different head spaces over the, the pandemic too. And it was just really, for me, I don't know, like I really had a hard time doing stuff that would have like furthered that project. Cause it was hard to see like where the future was going to go with that. If that makes any sense. It was like, well, do we do anything with this right now? Like we can't get together and, you know, yeah. so it, it made for things to be really weird. So we, the three of us really have to talk about that. If we just make that like our forgotten album or like our Pinkerton of sorts, where we just kind of recorded that second thing and then sort of, I don't know. <laughs> Did you catch that Weezer reference there? I find it funny because Weezer also came up in my interview with Jason Marr on episode four. Pinkerton is Weezer's sophomore release, following up on the massive success of their debut album, The Blue Album. Weezer frontman Rivers Cuomo warned fans prior to Pinkerton's release about the dark nature of his lyrics on the album, partially due to his mental state during the writing process. The initial reviews of Pinkerton weren't great, with Rolling Stone declaring it the third worst album of the year back in 1996. However, critics and musicians eventually came around to the album, with Justin Pierre of Motion City Soundtrack calling it one of his favorite albums of all time, due to its messy, raw, and brutally honest nature. Just eight days before Pinkerton's 20th anniversary, the album was certified platinum in 2016, making a wild redemption for its initial flop. More information on the entire backstory of Pinkerton's rise to acclaim can be found in the show notes. It's not bad. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's just, it, it, it's just weird because we're removed from it, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's totally understandable. I, I understand that so much just because... I feel like the the pandemic really threw a curveball to to everybody and then there you know everyone had to adjust to what the new normal was during the pandemic you know live in isolation and you know everything that was going on and then now it's almost like we're readjusting again because things are opening back up and we're readjusting out of that kind of isolation mindset and yeah, I mean, to that point, too, yeah, my summer's been crazy for that reason, just because the things that got delayed are back on now, or people want to are itching to meet up with one another. So then, like, my, yeah, I mean, my, my October is, like, crazy. And then I just found out I'm going to Vegas next month, and then I'm going to Vegas again in October for a separate occasion. So it's like, uh, I'm going to be all over the place for the next few months. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a wild time. So it's, it's totally understandable with that. No, so cool. So is there anything I may have forgot to ask about that you wanted to touch on before we get into plugins or anything? I guess the, the, the one thing I'd like to say um, is that, you know, hobbies are where it's at. I mean, like making music, drawing a picture, like, I don't know what it is, you know, whether like my uncle, I think he likes to like, just like do manual labor all day. Like he really sincerely does, but that's his hobby. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I just, I just feel like having good hobbies is like a, a good thing for people to have. And I feel like a lot of people I know, unfortunately don't have a lot of hobbies. So I'm plugging hobbies, mm-hmm. like get yourself a hobby, folks, <laughs> like, go do something. I don't ride your bike, whatever, like do something. No, I, I agree completely. I, I honestly can't stress that enough either. I mean, it, it's honestly like sad to me if, you know, someone asks someone else, like, what do you like to do in your free time or spare time or something like that? And they don't really have an answer. They're just like, you know, I like to relax or I like to sleep or something like that. And they just, they don't really know what to say. And honestly, yeah, that's kind of sad just because like, I, I feel like I'm always finding something new to do and 
having new hobbies. I mean, there, there has to be a balance with it for sure. I mean, because I'm, like I said, sleeping like four hours a night and constantly right. <laughs> finding new things to do. So it's like, maybe I should scale it back a little, but no, I, I agree completely with, you know, finding something to occupy your time and something you're passionate about. And you know, that's, that's what makes life worth living i agree completely and uh yeah on that on that positive uh, note there where can people find more information about the dead lennies and anything else you want to plug oh boy so yeah the dead lennies are on facebook on the youtubes um spotify apple music you know all that stuff yeah that's that's where you'll find us also i'm changing the name soon but like i have uh my solo project is also on spotify it's called shitty generic rants (laughs) shitty is spelled or it begins with a dollar sign and then rants ends with a dollar sign too and it's impossible to find and because it's a terrible name which i'm aware of but um, I'm going to be changing that soon. However, in the meantime, that's where it's on Spotify. So that's that's where you can find all of our music and stuff. And um, I guess we have a show this Friday at Jamboree at the Oaks, which is a music festival for Thursday, beginning tomorrow, uh, Friday, and then Saturday in Munich, Michigan. Three-day three day show, $25 for tickets for all three days and a camping spot, I believe. So super, super affordable and it ought to be cool. There's 40 plus bands that are going to be there. And then this coming Sunday night, we play at Stober's for a three-hour set from 9 to 12 in Lansing, Michigan. Once again, the dates for those shows have unfortunately passed since this interview was recorded. But you can still catch the Dead Lennies at the upcoming event SAC outlines here. And then on September 25th will be the, the first act at Bad Brewing's Block Party in the afternoon from 1 to 3.30. And then later that same evening, we will be traveling to Ypsilanti to play Unity Vibration from 7 to 10, I believe. So, so yeah, nice. those are upcoming events. Yeah, for sure. Now that'll, that'll keep people busy for sure. And yeah, you guys are definitely uh, staying busy with it, you know, killing it with the music. I was just I was just jamming to uh, that EP George yesterday and, and today and stuff like that. And definitely really dig your style and stuff like that. So it's a super fun conversation just catching up with you and stuff and i guess uh learning more about your side projects and hobbies in addition to you know just having your class in high school and stuff so no like genuinely i really enjoyed hearing about all this and i look forward to everything you guys are doing with the dead lennies well thanks eric i appreciate your time man thanks for having me on yeah of course man all right best of luck to everything thank you very much you too Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to all the Dead Lenny's pages, along with other resources, can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtaposed Journeys on Podmatch and request an interview that way, which quite a few people have been taking advantage of. Episode slots have been booked for the remainder of 2021, so definitely don't wait to add your name to the list. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner. And music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing for this episode was done by R.B. Rowe. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly. 
Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.